Hello and welcome to Adrian Goldberg's talk show, the most eclectic podcast in the world, featuring politics, entertainment, sports, investigations, whatever takes my fancy really. This time, the artist, performer and survivor, David Tovey, whose astonishing real-life story would be scarcely credible as a work of fiction. As we'll hear, David came to art late after being a soldier and a chef, but he's now exhibited at the Tate Modern in Tate Liverpool. His latest performance piece, The Unknown Soldier, will be screened online on the 10th of October 2020 for World Homeless Day. Be warned, some of what you'll hear in David's story is pretty harrowing, but it's uplifting too. He's still here and creating vital new work. He started by telling me how he came to art. To be honest, it was, it was out of fluke. I, I've always been creative, like from when I was a, a chef, you know, that obviously it's a creative trade and everything. But then after I got ill, I spoke with my mum and I said, look, I can't cook anymore. You know, um, I, I can't remember stuff. You know, I need to do something else. But she said, well, just relax for a while, pick up some art and have a play with that. And I thought, well, yeah, OK. And I, I decided to enlist on a degree course at London Met. And that's sort of like how I sort of fell into it. You know, mainly all due to ill health pushed me into having a career change. And how old were you though at that point? I was I was quite young. I was thirty six. <laughs> well, you say quite young, but but not you're not young to be picking up the paints and having a go as an artist, really. No, you're not wrong there. Um, it was yeah. I, I think I don't know whether it was because of the stroke, whether that actually sort of like triggered something in my mind and sort of like made me think about the world in a completely different way and not being able to express as well through vocal and talking about stuff at the time it was easier to express myself through art you know whether you know that was taking a photo or writing a poem or painting a picture I just found it that easier way to help focus and tell a story. So yeah, I was, I was 36. It's sort of middle age, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's on the way towards it. I'm just wondering, you know, at school, were you top of the class in art? Because obviously you've got a massive talent for it. You've displayed at the Tate Modern and Tate Liverpool. Or, or was it something that you really only discovered at that point in your life? I was never really good at it at school. When we took our options, I had to drop art because I wanted to be a chef. So home economics was classed as a creative option in those days. So I took home economics because I needed that to get into college. And so art was dropped. But I was always really good at drawing. My mum was really good with us as kids um, that she'd sit down all the time, teach us how to draw, to cook, to sew to bake etc so I, I always had that that mentality of just saying well actually I'm just gonna you know sit down and do something to you know I, I think you know we as humans we have this great ability of being able to adapt to situations and I find that having a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil can really help me adapt to something you know whether I'm doodling in a meeting or whether I shouldn't say that really just in case anyone I, I do actually listen in meetings on it <laughs> of course of course of course we all do we all do yes I'm telling you mate I, I'm, I'm drawing boxes all the time but anyway but um you know or whether you know I I, I map stuff out and, and, and being able to draw 
I don't know whether it's a gift. I think it's sort of like, you know, taught myself, you know, to sort of just adapt it in a way. You know, I always say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're painting a Rembrandt or whether you're drawing a stick man. It's completely relative to what it does to your mind. It helps you focus whether it's for two seconds or two hours. It's interesting you you say that when you had your stroke and you referenced when I was ill, I mean, you've you've almost been through the card in terms of illnesses. I don't mean to make light of it because you've had some pretty serious stuff. Do you do you want to tick them off or shall I? Yeah, no, I I I, I, I will go I'll go back in time for you. It's probably easier. It all happened in such a short period of time for me. I was a chef and I would say a working alcoholic. I had my own businesses running restaurants in London. I had two I was a head chef of and stuff. And the stress of working seven days a week, drinking, partying all the time, there's only so long that can go on for until sort of like your body says, ah, stop. <laughs> and I had a stroke on Easter Sunday, 2011, when I was 36. That was sort of like the catalyst of stuff starting to go wrong. I, I sort of blamed the businesses. I, I never really blamed my lifestyle at the time for the stroke. So I, I walked away from the businesses. I then split up from my partner and lost my flat, then was sleeping on a friend's sofa. And I started getting really ill one day and I didn't know what was going on. My hair was falling out in big clumps. I was losing weight, I was going blind. And I remember driving, I was trying to drive at the time because I was working and I was nearly crashing my car. And I was like, well, what is going on? Went to the doctors. And he's like, oh, have you had any rashes or anything like that? I'm like, yeah, actually, I have. Like, and I'm a bit weird. I take photos of everything. And I showed him the, pho- I showed him the photos. And he went, I'm going to have to admit you into hospital. So he admitted me straight into hospital. And it turned out that I had a thing called neurosyphilis. And, and it's like later stage syphilis, where it's gone into your spinal fluid. And it's going around your brain and sending you a little bit mad. And, it, and ultimately, it can kill you. So they started me treating, they started treating me for that in the hospital on this really intense course of treatment, which is procaine penicillin and loads of tablets. Like I I think it was like 25 tablets a day, something silly like that. And then having these injections of this procaine penicillin. I remember it was 1st of December, 2011. So by this stage, it was like about eight months after my stroke. Right. I was in hospital and they'd done all the lumbar punches and stuff like that. And, and it came back from blood tests. I also had colon cancer. So luckily, and this is, I, I, I'll say this quite a lot. Like I believe in hope and I believe in luck quite a lot. Obviously, I was in the right place at the right time. If I hadn't have got the neurosyphilis, I wouldn't have found out so early on that I, was have, uh, I had colon cancer. So I pretty much only had to have it cut out. So they went in, cut it all out. And then just carried on with my treatment plan whilst I was in hospital. 10 days after that diagnosis, I had, so the procaine penicillin injections were intermuscular um, and they accidentally caught one of the splinter veins from a previous injection and caused me, caused me to have a cardiac arrest. This, that's something I'll, I'll never forget. I, I, it's embedded in my brain this moment because I remember it happening and everything just literally shutting off and passing out. And then I remember coming to on this paramedic trolley with defibrillator pads over me, 
loads of nurses and stuff around me and, and, and paramedics. Umbrellas, like literal umbrellas over top of me. And what was happening, they were running me from one part of the hospital at the clinic over to the A&E through the car park. And it was chucking it down with rain because they said it was quicker to do that than chuck me into the ambulance and then drive around. You know what I mean? So they literally just ran me through um, to the A&E. And I'll never forget that moment. I, I, every time I hear rain, so like today, you know, I was out this morning and it was raining and you had the, the, the patters of the rain on your hood and stuff. And it just, you know, it always ignites those, 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 those memories. So because of all this happening, I then started seeing a psychologist and they said, look, at some point, everything was happened so far. It can only last so long before, you know, your brain implodes on itself. Because at, at the time, your adrenaline just keeps you going. And they were right. I guess I had a bit of a breakdown, mental breakdown, and caused me to try and take my life five times in one week. And I remember coming out of the hospital. This is the thing what really annoys me about the whole thing is, I guess I was crying out for help um, at that time, you know, with my mental health. And, and they kept sending me home. And, 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 and I don't understand why. Because if someone's like tried topping themselves um, that many times, then surely you can see a pattern. There's something wrong. But I don't know. I just I kept getting sent home, and then I spoke to my doctor, and I, and I was like, "There's something not right." I said, "This isn't me. I'm a fun sort of guy. I love life. I couldn't understand it." So he said, "Look, you know, come in for some tests." And then the same day, I then got a phone call from Croydon Hospital, and they were like. David, we need you to come and speak to us. There's, there's a problem with your blood. And I was like, oh, okay. And jokingly, and, and, and this is so truthful, right? I jokingly turned around laughing and said, oh, you're going to tell me I'm HIV positive? And she said, yes. And I, I, was, and I was like, oh. And I started laughing. And I went, do you know what? That's probably the best thing I've heard all, all year. And she was like, what? And I said, well, because suddenly you've given me an answer. You know, you've actually told me something that I didn't actually, you know, one, I didn't, you know, I never thought that it would happen. Um, but it sort of like explained a lot why I was feeling ill, why I was like, you know, I had no energy, why I was trying to kill myself, etc. And from that, I, I start, life started getting a little bit better after that, because suddenly, you know, I had an answer, you know, things were happening and, 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 and all of that. So, and that's when I decided like to go to uni to do this art course. One of the occasions when you tried to take your life, David, am I right in thinking there was a, a good Samaritan in a park who made a real difference to your life? Yeah, so this is where um, it sort of like, it goes on a nosedive again. I, I, I was at uni, done the first year, done the foundation year, and then it was a four-year art course at London Met. So you do your foundation then three years after. Things were good, but in the February of that year, um, so this would have been 2013 by this stage, started getting ill again. I didn't know why, and my mental health started to sort of crumble a bit. I, I, I sort of, I went into a sort of like a massive state of depression, and I, I took a fatal overdose in a park, trying to kill myself. I got resuscitated from that, taken into hospital, in hospital for a while, obviously, with a lot of psychological therapy etc and I came out of hospital to come back to my flat to find that all the locks had been changed and suddenly I was homeless and I was like 
shit. You know, I'd gone like two years previous having my own businesses, now suddenly being homeless. And I was like, wow, what, what, what happened? Do you know what I mean? And so I was like, being an ex-soldier and a can-do attitude, I was like, no, I can, I can do this. Uh, so I literally moved into, I had a little Peugeot 205, uh, 206, and I moved into it. Then spent the next five months, I think it's about five months living in my car. But the problem was, because obviously of my HIV uh, status and stuff like this, and not eating properly, you know, the, the life of being on the streets um, and trying to survive, not knowing when you're going to eat and stuff like that. Having no money, I literally had no money at all. My health started to massively deteriorate, which you'd expect. You know, I'm, I'm six foot three. And I went down to 64 kilos in weight. I looked like a skeleton. My addiction problems started getting worse. The need to survive, to keep warm, etc. And it got to a stage where I'd gone into the council office one day. And they just couldn't help me because I was still classed as a student, right? So uh, uh, when you're a student, you, you're not entitled to housing benefits and stuff like that, even if you're not getting student loans, right? And, and I was like, I was so depressed and, and I was wet. I hadn't eaten for about three days that I decided that was it. I, I literally could not see the following day, right? In my mind, I couldn't see it and I didn't want to see it. So I, I was in Islington and there's a park called Isledon, Isledon Park Gardens. It's only a tiny little thing. And it was late at night. It was all locked, pitch black. And I went in there and I started to kill myself with a crystal meth overdose and this guy stopped me he's, he's actually actual words it's a swear word so i do apologize but he, he was like he went he went what the fuck are you doing <laughs> and it completely threw me like literally completely threw me and and i was like I, I didn't know how to answer him and i was crying my eyes out and i remember i remember it so clearly i was rocking to and fro on this park bench and he sat there and he, and, and, and he talked to me and, and he was like, you know, why are you trying to do this? And we talked for about two hours. I told him everything, what had gone on, what I was going through, why I was trying to end my life. And he said, look, I'm going to help you. He gave me 10 quid. He got me some food and he phoned a local char charity and got me into a night shelter for the following day. I always say that his name's Gavin, Gavin Lane. He's like my guardian angel. Good on Gavin, what a fella. Yeah, he, I, I look at it in this way. Yes, he saved my life, but he did more than that. He gave me my life back. He gave me a life. And because of that, and because of him taking that chance on me, he didn't know me, you know. Uh, I, I found out that he wasn't even supposed to be working that day because I've met him since and we've stayed in touch. He'd gone to this part just it wasn't on his list of like ones to go to at the exact time I was ending my life. Another 20 seconds, I probably would have been dead. Um, and, and, and that's how close it was. So he took a chance on me and, and I owe it to him to, you know, rebuild my life and, and do what I do. And, and, and it's why I, you know, a lot of my, performance stuff I call man on bench and it's my my I don't know what it is like honoring of him at, at that moment 
it's funny, right? Because I, I, I met him. Uh, we we went back to the the place it happened, uh, and yeah. uh, I met him there. And um, I asked him why did he why did he stop? Because I don't think I could have done it. And 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 he and he said he, he goes, there's something not right. He said, even if you were injecting yourself, whatever, right, you wouldn't be sat there crying your eyes out, rocking like a madman. And he knew that he had to step in. I'm so glad he did. Absolutely. It's incredible stuff, incredible story. And I suppose it leads on to the performance on the 10th of October, which is World Homeless Day. And that's obviously something that you've had personal experience of. And I know you've worked with the Museum of Homelessness over the years as well. So this is a performance and an installation called The Unknown Soldier, you were a soldier, of course. So I'm guessing this does draw very much on your personal story. Yeah. So it's sort of a rewrite of, so back in 2018, 2017, 2018, I wrote an opera called Man on Bench Fairy Tale, where we had around about 120 people involved. And I worked with different organizations uh, in Manchester and Stockport to make costumes and help with the staging and stuff like that and then we worked with a homeless choir in liverpool choir with no name and different organizations to put on this opera that i wrote and and it was about the story of this moment of the resuscitation one so i sort of like bring different elements of my life into like you know the story of the opera and it was so well received but it sort of nearly killed me putting it on it was just so much stress um and obviously i still have you know uh health issues that i have to deal with and mental health problems etc et so it just took its toll on me so i stepped back for well nearly two years um so that was no- november 20 uh 2018 and i decided to evaluate the show and there was elements of it that i really really liked and elements of it that i thought would I couldn't tour it couldn't just go into a gallery space so I decided to rewrite it as a one-person show but with an installation film element to it so it can just be a film on its own that could be just put into a gallery space or it could be the film with the live performance with it as well and it's a story of a homeless veteran we know that um, at the beginning of 2019, there was over 16,000 um, ex-veterans registered as homeless in the UK. When I talk about homeless, I don't talk about rough sleeping. That's just a small element of it. I talk about the overall picture of homelessness. And being an ex-veteran myself, I wanted to sort of like showcase elements that you know, there is a lot of help out there for homeless veterans, right? But most veterans don't know about it right? And most of the general public don't know about it. So this piece is just to highlight the fact that if you don't know that there's help, then things can progress and become worse. Uh, So this is a story of a guy who is on the verge of a complete breakdown. I put it down as a powerful film that uh, provides a disorientating and stark background to the performance because it's a little bit erratic it's all memories i've i've i use my own 
life archive and memories and footage to put a narrative to the story. But the unknown soldier is anyone. It's anyone who's been homeless. It's anyone who's living with PTSD. It's anyone who's living with some sort of trauma or sorts. You know, you know, it, you don't have to be just a soldier, but to get through any of those sort of things, you have to be a soldier to be able to get through them and have inner strength. But sometimes that inner strength doesn't matter how much you've got. It can't get you through everything. So this is about a story of this guy who just falls apart and takes his life. It is extremely hard hitting. I don't sugarcoat anything. You see it actually happen. See me actually take my life in the performance. And the reason I do this, the reason I, I do it so brutally, I suppose it's, 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 bu it's brutal but beautiful at the same time. It's all done to a music, original music by a young girl called Alice Parrington, who is a phenomenal composer who I've worked with for the last few years. And then there's the, the spoken word element to it and the performance. And I suppose it's my way of highlighting the struggles that people face when they leave the armed forces. We know that a lot of people leave with mental health and PTSD problems, addiction problems, alcohol, etc. And we know that once they were treated as heroes, you know, for keeping us safe in our beds at night. But then when their lives start to fall apart, there's no one there to help them pick it back up again. What they know of when it's happening, when it's happening to you, you know, it doesn't matter. You 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 could know about everything in the world, right? Of all the different charities and stuff like that. But when it's actually happening to you as a soldier, you don't ask for help. You know, you 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 find it really difficult to ask for help. You know, when I was on the streets, I couldn't beg. I couldn't do any of that. I was eating out of bins. You know, because I didn't want to go to a day center. You know, I prefer to do that than to ask for help. And, and every soldier is the same. So I suppose in a way that the show, I, I'm, tr I'm just trying to change people's perceptions of how they see what's happening out there. David Tovey and The Unknown Soldier will be touring art galleries across the UK after its premiere. To get a link to the screening, go to One Festival of HA. That's One Festival of HA on Twitter or David's own Twitter feed at David Tovey 1975. At David Tovey 1975. My name's Adrian Goldberg, and if you do want to get in touch, you can email goldbergradio at gmail.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. I'll see you next time.